A big shot businessman had to spend a couple of days in hospital and he was an absolute pain to the nurses because he bossed around the nurses much in the way that he bossed around his staff. None of the hospital staff wanted anything at all to do with him. The ward sister, she was the only one who could stand up to him and uh, she walked into his room and announced, I, I'm going to take your temperature. And after complaining for several minutes, he finally settled down, crossed his arms and opened his mouth. The sister said, no, I'm sorry. It's not that kind of... Uh, I need to not uh, have a, an oral reading here, so maybe you could turn around. And after a few more moments of complaining, he rolled over and bared his bottom. After the nurse inserted the thermometer, she said, I'll have to get something. You just stay like that until I get back. She left his room, leaving the door wide open on her way out. He curses under his breath as he hears people walking past his door laughing. Almost an hour passes and the man's doctor comes into the room and he says, what's going on here? Now the guy is very angry and he says, what's the matter, doc? Haven't you ever seen anyone having their temperature taken before? And the doctor replies, yes, I have, but never with a daffodil. <laughs> revenge. Sweet revenge. Is it sweet or not? And today is uh, week four of our present series, Tough Talk, The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And over a number of years, I have come to recognize that much of Jesus' teaching is hard, it's difficult, it's sometimes difficult to understand and sometimes it's difficult to put into action and sometimes it's both. And what you'll find in our teaching this morning at face value, it appears to be quite simple to understand but excruciatingly difficult to put into practice in our lives. And we have five verses straight from the mouth of Jesus on what to do with those feelings that we sometimes get of retaliation and revenge. There was a car bumper sticker that says, don't get mad, get even. And very often that's the way that it is in our world, isn't it? It's don't get mad, get even. But what should we do in those situations? How should we react? What should we do when some, uh, someone says something malicious about us which we know isn't true? What should we do when we are insulted or when someone is rude to us? What should be our response when our property or possessions are stolen or damaged? Should we be doormats to be walked on by anyone and everyone just because we are Christians? Let's read what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through to 42. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you, and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. 
Even now, I've been a, a Christian over four decades. I find this teaching particularly difficult. And on occasions, I still have those temptations to hit back and to retaliate if someone has hurt me. In verse 38, um, we read, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Let's stop there for a moment. So those that Jesus was speaking to had heard, but who had they heard from? Where did they get this information? Well, the Old Testament quotes eye for eye on three occasions in the Old Testament books of Exodus, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And it was part of the Old Testament law and therefore the rabbis and the scribes would have um, been teaching this and that's how Jesus' hearers would have heard it. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And notice the tension here. The tension between you have heard, but I tell you. And at face value, it appears that Jesus is at odds with the Old Testament law. And uh, when you go home later, read through the entire passage in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and you will see many examples there. Uh, given to us of how Jesus um, focused his teaching, his kingdom teaching, on these. But Jesus says uh, here, or he appears rather to be at odds with the Old Testament law. But is that correct? Was Jesus actually contradicting? Was he overruling the Old Testament scriptures? And is this rule of an eye for an eye relevant for us today as Christians. It was Muhammad Ali, the former heavyweight boxing champion of the world, who seemed to think so. He says this, I'm a fighter. I believe in the eye for an eye business. I am no cheek turner. I got no respect for a man who won't hit back. You kill my dog, you better hide your cat. <laughs> okay, that was Muhammad Ali. There are other people, people like Mahatma Gandhi, who wouldn't have agreed at all with Muhammad Ali. And uh, one of Gandhi's most memorable sayings was, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. So who's right? And what does the Bible teach us? And let's see if this morning we can make a little bit of sense of this. Firstly, there was nothing at all wrong with the concept of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth in its original context in ancient Israel. And I'll explain to that a bit more about that in a moment. The problem arose in the way that the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' day were actually misinterpreting this law of an eye for an eye, a law which is known as lex talionis, which is one of the oldest laws in the world where punishment is in proportion to the offence committed. It's the law of tit for tat. But there are four things that we need to uh, say about this law of an eye for an eye, which will help us make sense of what's going on here in the words of Jesus. First thing, that this law, an eye for an eye, was intended to be a law of mercy. It was aimed at restricting punishment for an offence. 
You see, the legal punishment was not to exceed the gravity of the crime. And very often in the ancient world, um, you had revenge which was escalating in the societies. And if one member of a tribe was injured by a member of another tribe, then sometimes all the members of the offended tribe would take vengeance on all of the members of the offending tribe. It would be a bit of a free-for-all. And this law was aimed at restricting such an escalation of revenge. And it ruled out personal vendettas. Basically, if someone breaks your arm, you can't go out then and kill that person. And punishment should not exceed the crime. So that's what was being taught. And we need to bear that in mind when we read this. The second thing that we need to uh, be aware of is that this law that was given was uh, created for judges, not for personal individuals. This was never uh, intended for individuals to exact revenge on some other person. So if you poked my eye out, it wasn't for, up, up to me to come to you personally and poke your eye out. The responsibility to get even was a matter for the courts to decide and meet out the necessary punishment. The third thing that we need to um, be aware of here is that this law was not normally taken literally. Now penalties were replaced by financial fines or claims for damages and that's really very much the way that the British uh, legal system works isn't it? You know people are awarded damages for injury for the pain suffered or medical expenses and loss of wages and so forth but this eye for an eye principle still stands. For example a drunk driver who knocks someone over breaking their leg will not be run over himself by the magistrate or the judge, you know, in his Bentley or whatever. Rather, that person will probably get a short prison sentence so that the punishment and the, the person injured will, will get damages paid to them. And the punishment they get fits the crime. They will not get the same punishment as a murderer. And neither will they get the same punishment of someone caught dropping litter. The punishment must fit the crime. And fourthly, this law wasn't the entire picture. Uh, it wasn't the only word or the last word on the matter in the Old Testament. Uh, individuals were taught uh, not, to, not to seek revenge, not to bear grudges, even as I say in the pages of the Old Testament. For example, in Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbour as yourself in Proverbs 24 verse 29 do not say I'll do to him as he has done to me I'll pay that man back for what he did so what I'm saying here is that this law of an eye for an eye was not compulsory it was discretionary love and forgiveness turning the other cheek even in the Old Testament times was the better way and when we think of this, uh, this eye for an eye principle as originally given, for me at least, it sounds quite plausible. It sounds a, a very good idea, don't you think? So if this is a, a good law and a good rule, why was Jesus so upset with it? What was the problem that Jesus felt that he needed to correct this law? As I say, I hope you're with me so far. Jesus had no problem, it seems, with this law of an eye for an eye as originally given, so to be used in the Jewish courts. Jesus' problem 
was the way that the religious leaders used it, or should I say misused it. This law which was prevented, um, or rather was intended for, to prevent escalation of violence and personal vendettas in the hands of the religious leaders of the day, actually became a tool for retribution and revenge. And they took this good law, which was meant to be merciful, and they taught that individuals should, it was compulsory, to get even with those who had hurt and offended them. And um, they understood it, perhaps, not too differently to that uh, quote there from Muhammad Ali, that uh, I'm in the eye for an eye business, not a cheek turner, so watch out for your cat. You know, that's much of the way I would say that the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day understood it. And the thrust of what they taught was get even. If your neighbour hurts you, then get them back. Buy their kids a drum set for Christmas or something like that. You know, get them back. I came across a, a great quote the other day which uh, really made me laugh. There's a, there's a picture of Snoopy saying... I never wish death upon anyone who wrongs me. I wish them <laughs> sudden explosive diarrhea on a date with frequent sneezes. I think I'd settle for death, yeah? That was a great quote. Yes. You get all the intellectual quotes in this church, you know. Uh, <laughs> Jesus was correcting the way in which religious leaders had turned this good law in, into an opportunity, really, for revenge. But there's something else going on here as well. And I need to just to tell you what, what else is going on here. Jesus is saying that anyone who truly wanted to be a part of his kingdom, God's team, God's new society, he or she would need to do far better than even the scribes and the Pharisees. And they were seen up there, really, in Jewish society, they were the bee's knees. They were believed to keep the law meticulously, absolutely. And here's Jesus saying, you know, if you're going to be a part of my team, my, my new society, my kingdom, then you have to do even better than them. Basically, what Jesus was saying is that if you're going to follow me, there are, my standards are higher than simply choosing not to do something. <coughs> I'm looking for a change of heart attitude. And Jesus, as we see in the New Testament, always raises the bar. He raises the bar to his followers, citizens of God's kingdom. And um, as I said a little bit earlier on, that in this chapter that we're looking at this morning, chapter 5 of Matthew, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus provides uh, a number of examples there um, of the way that uh, his teaching really brought the heart of what the Old Testament law was all about. For example, let me give you a couple of examples. The Old Testament law forbade murder, thou shalt not kill. But Jesus' message about the kingdom actually raises the bar and deals with a hidden emotion of anger that often motivates murder. Essentially, Jesus was saying that, don't think that you are someone special just because you haven't murdered someone. Big deal. You make sure that you don't harm anyone with your words. And even more radical than that, seek for reconciliation when, with your enemy whenever possible. 
Now, that's, that's well above just don't murder, isn't it? Jesus raises the bar. Then he gives another example in this chapter of raising uh, the bar. And he says that you can avoid technically committing adultery by not physically having sex with someone. But at the same time, your heart might be full of lust. And what, essentially what Jesus is saying here, just as there would be no murder without anger, there would be no adultery without lust. So Jesus goes right to the root cause. Let me put this slide up for you. This might help. The righteousness of the Pharisees was not about, well, sorry, was about not doing any wrong. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, etc. But the righteousness of the kingdom, that's God's new society, Jesus' new people, is about having a changed heart to do what is right. That's the difference there. That is so important. The righteousness of the Pharisees was not about... Sorry, I've said it wrongly again. The righteousness of the Pharisees was about not doing any wrong. Righteousness of the kingdom is about having a changed heart to do what is right. So basically, no Christian could ever say the same as Muhammad Ali said, <laughs> that I'm in the eye-for-eye business. I'm no cheek turner. Because that, firstly, would not only totally misunderstand what is being said there through that ancient law, but it would also not take into account that Jesus always raises the bar for those who follow him. Then Jesus gives four examples of what this non-retaliation looks like. So let's have a, have a look at those words together. In verse 39, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And in each of these four examples here that Jesus gives, uh, we, we bear some loss, whether it's loss of pride or loss of possessions or loss of time or loss of finances. In each of these examples, we have someone who is wishing to take advantage of us. So let's, let's dig a little bit deeper into this. Firstly, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And the whole idea here is that if you are right-handed and you're going to swing at another person, <coughs> being a right-handed person, you're going to hit them on the left cheek. However, this is about the right cheek. And the only way that you could do that if you were right-handed would be to uh, give a, back, uh, a slap with the back of your hand. Now, in Jewish rabbinical law, this was twice as insulting as someone slapping you with the palm of the hand. And what Jesus was essentially speaking of here was a situation of someone treating you with the greatest possible contempt. I don't know if you've ever been treated with contempt ever. I'm sure that many of us have from, from time to time. But a slap with the back of the, the hand is a way in Jewish rabbinical law, huge contempt was being brought upon you at that time. You might have uh, heard of um, uh, a 19th century evangelist, uh, Billy Bray. Billy Bray was a 19th century uh, evangelist and he was a coal miner and he was a fine boxer before his conversion. And soon after he be uh, became a Christian, 
uh, a guy who had lived in fear of Billy Bray for many years took the most of the opportunity and, and hit him without provocation. And Billy Bray could have easily flattened the guy. But instead he looked at him and said, my, may God forgive you even as I forgive you. The result was that for several days of agony of spirit, uh, or rather this man was in agony of spirit for a number of days, and then he was converted. When I read that story again recently, I was reminded of what Paul wrote to the early Christians in Rome. Many of them have been persecuted for their faith. He says in Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a number of very, very important principles here for us as uh, Christians. Firstly, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Secondly, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Thirdly, don't take revenge. Fourthly, leave room for God to settle scores at the judgment. That's his job, not yours. Your job is to treat your enemy well. But because uh, Billy Bray reacted in the way that he reacted, the other guy experienced this, what Paul speaks of as burning coals heaped upon his head. He was all churned up inside. He was convicted by what he had done, which ultimately led to, to repentance and his conversion. You see, Billy Bray there swallowed his pride and allowed God to work. But if we are honest with ourselves today, and it's always good to be honest, we often allow pride to get in the way. And pride is a major cause of conflict in this world, isn't it? It's a major cause of conflict in personal relationship, also in national and international politics. What's your first reaction when someone gives you a side swipe, not necessarily physically with the, the back of their hand, but with their tongue, when they treat you perhaps with contempt or disrespect? And as I say, if we're honest, most of us at least, our first reaction will not be to turn the other cheek. But that is what we're called to do. If you're a Christian, that's what you're called to do. That's what kingdom living is all about. It's a call to be different. Now, I could tell you lots and lots of stories this morning of times when I got this wrong. And boy, have I got it wrong. Yes, many times. <coughs> but let me just tell you of on an occasion when I got it right. A neighbour of ours was having real problems with his house alarm. It kept going off and he was up the ladder on a cold day trying to sort it out. Things were certainly not going very well for this man. I went to pass the time of day, made an innocent comment. I think I might have even offered uh, to help in some way if I could. His response was nasty in the extreme. I couldn't even repeat what he said. He let me have it double-barreled. I didn't deserve that. No way. My first reaction was, I'm going to flatten you. <laughs> I'm not proud of that. 
But then I thought, or maybe it was the Holy Spirit who prompted me, you are not your own. You belong to me. You're my representative. You do things my way. And I listened. I made a swift exit. I left the other guy carry on with his troublesome alarm. And later on that day, I called around to see him. I knocked his door. He answered. He wasn't able to even look me in the eye. I said to him, Joe, not his real name, I've obviously offended you in some way. And in whichever way I've offended you, please let me just now say sorry. I don't know what it is, but please, sorry. I'm pretty sure I hadn't offended him, but you never know. He was beside himself with embarrassment. He was mortified that he spoke to me that way, but didn't have the bottle to come round to my house in order to say sorry. That conversation, you know, things were, <coughs> relationships were repaired and things were great and he was so glad that I'd knocked his door, etc. But that conversation opened up a great opportunity to talk about my faith in Jesus. If I'd retaliated, which was the old me, I would have built up a barrier. But I chose to do it Jesus' way and break down that barrier. You see, this is the example that was given by Jesus. Peter, who was an eyewitness of the crucifixion, he writes to his fellow Christians uh, in, in 1 Peter 2, verse 21 to 23. He says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled in their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. What did Jesus pray when he was on the cross? Father, forgive. They don't know what they're doing. Again, we just um, have Jesus as our role model. He is the one that we follow in this. Okay, coming back to these uh, scriptures that we're looking at today. Secondly, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Again, here we have a picture of someone who is wishing to take advantage on this occasion, they wish you to take advantage through the courts of the law. Essentially, the message is here is don't stand on your rights. Remember that you're Christ's saviour. Thirdly, in verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, in these days, in the Middle East, in uh, Jesus' time, the Romans were the occupying power. And they used to compel citizens to carry baggage for them. And if a citizen felt the touch of a Roman spear on his or her shoulder, no, his shoulder mainly, he knew that he would have to be uh, carrying the baggage of the Roman soldier for 1,000 paces, which is slightly less than a mile. And it was under this custom that Simon of Cyrene was compelled to carry Jesus' cross. It was hard work, it was time-consuming, it was a real inconvenience if there ever was one. It's an example of someone demanding from you what is not remotely reasonable. I've been thinking about this the last couple of days. How does this um, work today? Well, I'm sure there are many examples. It might be that your employer has requested you to do something that's outside your job description. You feel that that thing that you are being asked to do is unreasonable. 
He has no right to ask you. He's taking advantage. Well, maybe the first thing that you do is not call your union representative, representative, but do it with a smile. Do it to the best of your ability. And then after you've done it, ask him if there is anything else that he might want you to do for him. I'm sure there are many other examples. Have a great, great time with that one, actually, in your life groups this week. I'm sure you can think of many other times of experience. And then finally, give to the one who asks you and do not turn from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, I think we really do need a measure of care in the way that we interpret uh, the Jesus sayings for our day and age. I don't believe that we should be taking things so literally on occasions that they then become nonsensical. You know, there are times, wasn't it, with Jesus, earlier on in the chapter that Jesus says about, um, you know, rather than having lust in your heart, it's better to chop off your hand and pluck out your eye. And uh, obviously Jesus wasn't meaning literal there, that was a metaphorical saying, he, he was using hyperbole, which is an exaggeration to prove a principle. So this principle of plucking out eyes and <coughs> chopping off hands every time uh, you, know, you looked at someone with lust, then you know, the whole world would be blind, wouldn't they? Um, yeah, or, or, or you would be blind. <laughs> Come on, don't get religious on me now. You know, what, she, what, what Jesus was saying, you know, this, this, is, this is true stuff. So, you know, if the, we're taking these words about giving to anybody or everyone who asks literally, then we would need to give money to every alcoholic or drug addict or professional beggar without question. And that's hardly the most sensible or the most loving thing that we should do for them. Because many would use that money to further abuse their own bodies with alcohol and drugs. If you need to, and if it's appropriate, buy them a meal. Buy them a, a, a coffee or whatever. But what Jesus is speaking about here, I believe, is having this generous spirit. Having a generous spirit towards others. An attitude which is not miserly or penny-pinching, but generous. Big-hearted. A big-hearted, generous approach to life. Not just to money, but to everything. I just love the way that the, the message translation interprets these uh, words. It says, if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. Eugene Peterson is so wonderful with words. And he gets really to the heart here of what Jesus is teaching. If anyone takes unfair advantage of you, Use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. And you see, we live in a world where people live by the get-even principle. Make sure no one takes advantage of you. Stand up for yourself. Don't let anyone get one over on you. And in life, many people, and I'm sure you've all experienced it, I've experienced it many, many times, they take liberties, they try to take advantage. But you see, if we always are, are always trying to settle scores, and if we are always trying to stop them getting, getting away with it, <coughs> if our focus is always about getting even, then what's going to happen is that we are going to lose the joy of our salvation. Yeah? We're going to lose the joy of our salvation. We are not going to be any different 
to them. We will be failing to shed the light of Christ in this dark world. And Jesus instructs his followers to be different. There's no place for retaliation, no place for revenge. But at the same time, we're not called to be doormats either. You see, we live in this tension of no retaliation, no revenge. But we also are to exercise a strength of character that will stand up and be counted for that which is right and godly. I'm nearly done. Martin Luther King, I'm sure you've all heard, heard of him. And uh, he was a great example of this balance. And just want to leave you with a speech by Dr. Benjamin Mays that he gave in Martin Luther King's funeral. He says this, If any man knew the meaning of suffering, King knew. House-bombed, living, living day by day for 13 years under constant threat of death, maliciously accused of being a communist, falsely accused of being insincere, stabbed by a member of his own race, slugged in a hotel lobby, jailed over 20 times, occasionally deeply hurt because friends betrayed him. And yet this man had no bitterness in his heart, no rancor in his soul, no revenge in his mind, and, his, and, and went up and down the length and breadth of this world, preaching non-violence and the redemptive power of love. And I would say this morning, let's follow his example as he followed Christ's example. And this whole series, I know it's a tough series, isn't it? Tough talk. It could just as easily have been called tough love. Because the words of Jesus are often tough. They're hard for us to hear. But also they can be incredibly loving. Because Jesus desires that we should be free. But we can never be free <coughs> if we are holding bitterness in our hearts. After 27 years, over 10,000 days of life in prison, mainly solitary confinement, Nelson Mandela is quoted as saying, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Wow. I'm gonna leave that with you this morning. I'm gonna just leave that with you this morning. I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. And you see, some people are in prisons of their own making. They say that they can't let go of something. And the truth is, very, very different to that. Of course they can let go. They choose not to let go. And as a result, are living lives that are diminished when God's desire and purpose for them is to live an abundant life. And my words to you this morning is please, 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 don't be one of them. Live generously, forgive quickly, and love indiscriminately. Let's pray.